So good morning, and yes, thank you for inviting me back here again. I'm, I'm glad that I um, got this opportunity to be here with you. Uh, thank you for the especially warm African welcome here. For those of you who don't know, I was born in Africa, and uh, so I could actually give, and give you a couple of African greetings. I can say, Goeiemora, Sambonani, and Dumelang. Don't ask me to say hello in French or Chinese, though. <laughs> anyway, um, this morning I know that the sermon topic is pretty in serious matter, but before we delve in, I always like to lighten the mood with a bit of a joke. And so I'm going to share this story about this neighbor of mine who has two sons that are off to university. So the first one's going into race, and the second one just moved into a house with a bunch of other friends that he's studying with. And so he was, his mom was chatting to her and she said, you know, how's things going? He said, you know, mom, I'm really sick of, of this meal time. It's really hard. So off she went and she bought him this cookbook and she dropped it off for him with, again, some more packaged foods. And she phoned him a couple of days later and she said, so how's the new cookbook working out? He said, mom, it's just so difficult. She said, difficult, it's like an easy stage beginner cookbook. It's got three ingredients and five steps. Like how difficult can it be? He said, mom, the first step is take a clean dish. And that's just impossible. <laughs> Let us pray. Holy creating and creative God. Some of us are gathered here with depths of sorrow. Some of us are here with an abundance of joy. And yet each and every one of us is separate and unique. And together we form your body. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of each and every one of our hearts gathered here be pleasing in your sight, Lord. Amen. Jesus walked. Often when we read the gospel stories, we grab the concept that Jesus traveled from place to place. I'm just gonna move, sorry. That he traveled from place to place. But we forget that Jesus walked. He walked towards people. And he walked away from people. But he always walked with God. And it reminds me of another story at the beginning of scripture when God is taking a walk in the garden. And he's calling out and looking for Adam and Eve. And I'd like to believe that God is calling out and he's looking for you and for me in the same way. And we are hiding behind our busy schedules and some of us behind the shame of our sin. How are we walking? Some of us are doing that long desert journey to the promised land. And it's a very tiring journey, but it's also miraculous. And our walk as Christ followers comes with so many trials and burdens, ones that we least expect. Sometimes we have to put up with people that add 
to those trials and the burdens. They might be that co-worker that just kind of does enough to get by and lets everybody else take responsibility for everything that's happening. Or the co-worker that's always grumpy and moody and negative and just really brings the whole office morale down. Or maybe it's not the co-worker. Maybe it's that boss that's just so demanding or just puts so many heavy burdens on you that it's really hard to stay positive in life. Or maybe it's that family member that just knows how to push every single one of your buttons. And sorry teens, but if you're a parent, I'm pretty sure that's your teen doing it. <laughs> I speak from experience. Or maybe it's just a neighbor that drives you totally insane. Who knows? But each and every one of us in some time in our life will encounter someone who will be a thorn in our side. And we know how difficult that can be. And we try so hard to walk in the footsteps of Christ, to have that patience and to be able to bear those people with kindness. I'll be honest with you when I heard this sermon, and Daniel's going to be a little disappointed in me, about patience that I immediately remembered this time when I prayed for a whole week for patience. It was the worst week in my entire life. I'm not a very patient person. My mother constantly says to me, even now, Jackie, patience is a virtue. I don't think that virtuous journey was gifted to me. <laughs> the struggle is real some days. So it was with an absolute sigh of relief that I turned and read John Gill's interpretation and definition of forbearance as being long-suffering. And what he says here is that long-suffering is not waiting patiently for good things to come, but it is patient, it is patient bearing and enduring of present evils with joyfulness by being strengthened with the Spirit with all its might and according to His glorious power. The NIV study Bible that I have just puts it in one sentence, putting up with others even when one is severely tried. And for those of you who are Greek enthusiasts among us, the Greek term used in the scripture is makrothumia. Makrothumia. And it's a collection of three different interpretations, and yet they seem to be the same words happening in all three of them. It's patience, endurance, constancy, steadfastness, perseverance, forbearance, long-suffering, slowness in avenging wrongs. And what I really found interesting in looking at this is that it is a collection of attributes that need to be lived out collectively. It's not just patience, it's patient steadfastness and endurance to persevere without reacting or avenging wrongs. And when I think of how God does this throughout scripture, my best example is the way that God sends the prophets to the people. He says to them, all right, here we go. I'm going to send you my, my prophets to tell you to stop doing this idol worship. 
Stop worshipping all these other gods and worship me, the one true God. Repent and turn back to me. And we see these prophets go with absolute sincerity and they are begging the people, please can you listen to God's instruction? And we see the people's response in that they chase them away or throw them down a cistern to silence them. And there is God's macrothmia. There is God's macrothmia present for years and years, prophet after prophet, before he sends them into exile. And even after they've been in exile and they've cried their hearts out and they've turned back to God, we see that God's goodness shining through. He sends them back to Jerusalem and he gets their captors to pay for the new temple as well as the new walls. I think if each and every one of us were to sit here and make a list of all the ways that we maybe offend God, maybe act in disobedience, the ways that we are more attracted to the things or ways of the world, rather than having this intense love and devotion to God, I think our lists would be quite long. As I was preparing for the sermon, I started making a note of the times where I kind of pushed God a little bit to the side. You know when there's a Netflix program that you want to get finished and you think, oh, I know it's late, and then you quickly hurriedly read your Bible passage because you just want to get back to your Netflix program. You know, it's those kind of little small things that we do on a daily basis. Maybe we are in a hurry and we just forget to pray and really be thankful for the food. And we just say, God, thanks for this food. Bless it. Bless all those who are hungry. Okay, great. And then we just move on. All of these things we could add to this list. And on this list, when, we started, when I started looking at my own list, I realized God does not punish any of us the way we deserve. If I was a parent, I probably would have been yelling at my kids, come on, man. And God doesn't do that to us. And I find it incredibly humbling when I think of the presence of God's makrothumia in my own life. Paul notes that the flesh, the ways of the flesh are contrary to the spirit. But the psalmists also remind us that God is slow to anger and abounding in love. John Wesley goes on and he gives in his commentary on Galatians just one simple sentence. Love is the root of all the rest of the fruits of the Spirit. And what I believe John Wesley is saying is that we have to know love, we have to be connected and drawing on that love in order for us to be able to bear the fruits of love. One of the expressions of how we love others is seen in the way that we treat them, the way that we draw on the power of the Holy Spirit so that we can be patient and endure them with a joyfulness. But the root of love can only be found in God. In John 15, Jesus says, I am the true vine. I am the true vine. And the gardener comes along and he prunes all the branches that aren't bearing fruit. But those that are bearing fruit, they will bear even more fruit. 
So remain in me as I also remain in you. When we remain in him, we can bear so much fruit. And that fruit that we bear is wonderful kingdom fruit. It's not fruit that's going to just perish. It's eternal fruit. And when I think of that, I'm back in the garden with God again. You know, God gives the whole earth to Adam and Eve. And he says to him, I just, please, just one request. You've got this whole earth. Just leave that one tree alone. I mean, one tree out of all the fruit trees in the whole world. I mean, it shouldn't be that difficult, right? Wrong. Wrong. And it's in that moment where God is walking in the garden and calling Adam and Eve and saying, where are you, that we see our first example of God's forbearance in Scripture. Because God, in all his majesty and might, could quite easily have responded in a couple of ways. He could have totally annihilated Adam and Eve. He could have got rid of them. He didn't need them. I mean, he could just recreate people again. He could have acted out and just totally rejected them. He could have even just had some kind of an angry outburst. We don't see any of those things in Scripture. There are consequences, yes, but there is also love. And the opposite of being short-tempered is being long-tempered. And when we go and look in scriptures, right the way from Genesis to Revelation, every single book in the Bible is filled with God's forbearance. He doesn't just angry outbursts. He doesn't just respond to the ways that we're behaving. How God puts up with humankind sometimes is just beyond me. I mean, let's be honest, we're all a little bit foolish, selfish, and arrogant towards each other. Never mind towards God. And, yet, and Jesus comes and he says to us, okay, I'm going to make it as easy as possible. Like the Jewish people, they have like this whole list of rules and regulations. I'm just going to give you two, okay? Love God and love people. Like it's not that hard. It's as simple as saying, I'm giving you all this world, just leave that one tree alone. And just as we, we couldn't seem to get the whole one tree thing right, we don't seem to be able to get the whole love God, love people thing right. And yet God teaches us what it really means to have forbearance in this. In that he patiently, and I really mean patiently, doesn't wait for us to get good because that's never going to happen on our own. Rather, he patiently bears and endures our sinful state until we repent and return to Christ. God is in essence very long-tempered towards us. He displays forbearance towards every single one of us in this world. What happens, though, is that we as believers kind of put God in this little, um, I want to call it a desire checklist. You see, we have these dreams for our lives or these ambitions or these desires or these goals. 
And we kind of put God in with that whole category. So let's have faith in God. Check. Let's go to church. Check. Let's join the small group. Check. Let's do the Bible reading, prayer. Check, check, check. We do good works, everything. Check, check, check. Let's get a good job, good education. Check, check. Let's get the house. Check. Get the family. Check. Let's travel around the world. Check. And we group God and all God's things in the same category as all of life's things. The problem with that is, though, that we then live harried and harassed in this world. And when those trials and testings come, that person that rubs us like sandpaper, we immediately respond to it. We react to it. And the way that we react is very easy to spot. We start complaining. And we can complain. I mean, history, history has us right throughout scriptures showing that we really know how to complain. And then, if it persists, this person or this trial or this testing, we kind of get, we amp up our complaining to a whole new level. We start to have this big amnosity towards them. And we start to really play the blaming game. You know, if that person wasn't in my office, I'm telling you, my life would just be great. If my kids would just pick up their clothes or do what I tell them to do, life would be fantastic. If that neighbor would just shut that dog up, I'm telling you, I would get more sleep and be happier. And so we amp our complaining up. But then God still keeps that person in our life. And so we then move into another category. We amp, we amp it to another extreme level. We start to lay the blame for everything that's going wrong in our life on that person or that situation. And it goes something like this. You know, if that dog hadn't woken me up at freaking five o'clock this morning, I wouldn't be so tired. And then I wouldn't have got in a car accident and this wouldn't have happened and that. You can just add the list up. But that's how it goes. The problem is that God still leaves that person or that issue in your life. And then it goes to the next level. And you're probably thinking like, how much worse can it get? But it does get worse. Because what happens is you start to form this bitterness inside of you. And you might not even be aware of it. And when we have that bitterness, we are weak against the enemy, Satan. We are weak against the enemy. The problem is that no one else around us is even aware of what's going on because we're good Christian people. We go to church and we're doing all the right things on the outside. And we convince ourselves on the inside, well, you know, I'm praying and I'm doing all these things and I'm right with God. So you know, it's okay if I just have a problem with that person or, or just have a little bit of interest in there. In my experience, and I really include myself in this because I'm not infallible, my experience has taught me that 
when we do not A, acknowledge our true feelings, B, pray about it, and C, repent of the way that we're responding to it, things get worse. I'm going to say this for those of you who are making notes. You can write down the little acronym. It's an APR. When we do not acknowledge our true feelings, we do not say that I am resentful, I am angry, I am put whatever it is that person brings out in you. Judgmental, frustrated. When I do not acknowledge those feelings, then I'm unable to pray about it. So that's the P, pray about it. And then we say, Jesus, I know that this is a difficult situation and I know that I'm not handling this on my own. I'm feeling angry. I'm feeling frustrated. I'm feeling judgmental. I bring this to you. And then see, we repent of the way that we handle it. Because all of us have our mechanisms of handling things. You know, the silent treatment. Or the very short, so mom, can I have the car? No. We all know what that's like. And the reason why things get so worse is because we're trying to control it rather than just submit it to God. We behave just like Adam and Eve in the garden of, and we make fig leaf coverings and we, we try to pretend that what's really going on isn't what's really going on. The word repent in Greek is metanoia, and it's my favorite word ever. I always try to look for an excuse to put it in because it's such an important word. The Greek word metanoia literally means a 180 degree turn. So you're headed in this direction, and repentance means you're headed in that direction. There is a wonderful story, and it really is a true story of the ancient saints that would get up early in the morning and they would face the darkness before the dawn and look to the west and they would confess their sins on the day before and share with Christ and just all their shortcomings that they have been encountering and then when they were finished they would turn to the east and they would wait until the sunrise came up. And as the sun started coming up over the horizon, they would once again commit to walk in God's ways. That's true repentance. We cannot walk the way of Jesus and still be focused on what's behind us. Have you ever tried that? Like you, it's just impossible. We look to Jesus because that is where we are headed. And let me be very clear, when we make the choice to walk with Jesus, our lives have purpose. This is not some intellectual exercise of saying, you know what, I'm just going to walk with Jesus, I'm going to read my Bible, I'm going to pray and that. It really is a surrender from turning what matters most to us to turning to what matters most to God. Jesus says it in a very different way. He said, when we seek first the kingdom of God, 
then he gives us the desires of our hearts. Not only is forbearance an attitude of God, but it also can be an attribute of ours when we are in relationship with him. And I need to be perfectly crystal clear that there is nothing that you or I could ever do to earn or gain the fruits of the Spirit. It is a gift from God. It is a gift from God. And you know that God knows we are not perfect. That's why he sent us Jesus. Jesus who walked with us. Jesus who healed us. Jesus who taught us. And Jesus who sacrificed himself for us. When we accept Jesus into our lives, we become holy. The Spirit of God is so holy that Jesus says to us, you can say anything against the Son of Man and you will be forgiven. But if you say anything against the Spirit of God, you will not be forgiven either in this age or in the age to come. And so if there's one thing that I really want to leave you with today, it's this. The Holy Spirit is holy. It comes from holiness, dwells in holiness, and produces holiness. And because you want to nod off now, I'm going to get you to say this with me because it's so important. The Holy Spirit is holy. It comes from holiness, dwells in holiness, and produces holiness. You have the breath of God in you. This holy breath that fills every living cell in your body with oxygen so that it can function. You are a breathing miracle of life. A breathing miracle of life. And you know what's even more incredible? You can't see the way that that air is working throughout your body and creating life in the cells. But you're aware that without it, you would perish. And the same is in our spiritual lives. The Holy Spirit works in the same way. We cannot see it, but we can see the effects of it in our life. And when we flourish spiritually, just a little bit of pruning produces even more fruit, which others get to enjoy. That's one of the key things here is that the fruit that we bear is not for us. It's to nourish the world around us. And when we're not flourishing, we're just this bare tree without any fruit. And what really happens is trees not flourishing in the Holy Spirit's gifts bear artificial forbearance. They set their minds to put up with others, even when severely tried. And the truth is that they absolutely do succeed. Our minds are very powerful. They kind of do this whole fake patiently enduring the suffering thing. They, they have this attitude of, I'm going to grin and bear it. It doesn't matter what Bob does to me this week. I can handle it. I can, I can get through it. And then Bob comes in and Bob's doing his annoying thing and he goes, yes, yes. No problem, Bob. <laughs> or else they have this other attitude of like, I'm going to just turn the other cheek. And as they turn that other cheek, they do the whole pat on the back. Then. 
and for a while they really can endure it and they really can bear with that person but they are absolutely miserable because of it. That is fake forbearance. I once worked with a supervisor who really made my life difficult. I was in the corporate world and she was always delegating additional work to me and it was such a struggle to get through my own work, never mind all these additional tasks. Anyway, she was a wonderful, faithful Hindu woman and uh, she knew that I was a Christian, actively involved in small group ministry in the church at that time. Uh, it's many, many years ago. My youngest was only a year old, so that's many years ago. Anyway, um, one day she came and she gave me all this work and I just said to her, I'm sorry, I'm not doing it. And she got absolutely incredibly angry because she'd been so used to me just taking the work that she, these additional tasks, just doing it quietly and giving it back to her. So she threatened me with HR and the next morning I was in the HR department for the meeting. I'd been formally charged with insubordination. And it's a pretty serious uh, charge to have in a corporate environment. And yet I felt so calm inside. HR then came to the part where I got to say why I refused her request, which she felt was very reasonable. And I explained for two reasons. In our department of five of us, I was the only one ever asked to do additional responsibilities. And the second one was that the task that she'd asked me to do that day had nothing whatsoever to do with the job that I had been employed to do. HR concluded that she was in fact abusing her authority and she had to go for counselling. Looking back on that incident, I saw how the Holy Spirit produced forbearance in me. Because for months and months, I had quietly just taken this extra workload that this woman had given me, done it quietly and given it back to her. My colleagues were more outraged than I were. They would say to me, this is such an injustice that she's dumping all this work on you. Like we are so busy, we don't have the time to do this. And yet I never complained or gossiped with them. And I believe that the gift of forbearance was a gift that my colleagues got to appreciate. One of the women in our office is now actively involved in a, in a women's ministry in the largest denomination in South Africa. And she heads up the Gauteng region. She wasn't even attending church when I started at the company. The other woman had never been to church since she had moved to South Africa from Scotland. That was probably about 15 years earlier and suddenly started going to church. This is the fruit of forbearance. And I don't take credit for it, not in any way, because I'm pretty sure that when my boss gave me those jobs, I did this. <sighs> and then while I was doing it, I was... <sighs> <sighs> you know how we do that silent sighing? But I really, really cannot take credit for it to say that God's Spirit was bearing that fruit in me. You know, that same supervisor wrote the most glowing letter of recommendation for me. And what we call the fruit of forbearance, she wrote in that letter as a spirit of integrity under pressure. That is what happens when we walk in the spirit. John Caird once said, 
carry holy principles with you into the world and the world will become holy by their presence. A Christ-like spirit will Christianize everything it touches. You know, I believe that's what your bulletin statement says. Know Christ, transform life and change the world. Seek first the kingdom of God, friends, and all these things will be added unto you. God will pour out his Holy Spirit within you so that you live, not by might, nor by power, but by his Spirit, says the Lord Almighty himself. And can you imagine what joy it will be to have, sorry, to have our hearts and souls and spirits transformed by the power that produces a rich harvest of spiritual fruit. A spirit that fills us with love and joy and peace and forbearance and kindness and goodness and faithfulness. A spirit that allows us to flourish internally so that we can nourish the world around us. God places this undercurrent of undercurrent beneath the surface movements of our lives. In the secret depths of your being dwells the peace of Christ and the holiness of mind. That's God's gift to us even though the world around us is a restless commotion. God not only shows us forbearance as he patiently waits for us to grasp his love and grace, but he also gives us the gift of the power of the Holy Spirit so that when we encounter those people who rub us up and trial and test us, we can bear fruit. And I believe that Jesus is calling us right now to come towards that place, to walk towards the place he has prepared for us. A place where the angels sing, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. Will you walk alongside me today? towards the one who is worthy of all honor and glory and power so that you can live a holy and fruitful life. I close with a prayer from John Calvin, written on forbearance. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, you delay with so much forbearance the punishments that we have deserved and draw upon ourselves. Grant that we may not indulge ourselves, but carefully consider how often and in how many different ways we have provoked your wrath, so that we can humbly come to your pardon with true repentance and implore your mercy. May our hearts yearn for total submission to you, so that whether you rebuke us or in your infinite goodness forgive us, we remain blessed in knowing 
that we are reconciled to our kind and generous Father through faith in Jesus.